0: Bienvenidos a todos. who are listening to the Paseo podcast where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smezo de Leon and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts or stream, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Hello everyone and welcome to the Paseo Podcast. Keep up with us at Paseo Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We also post the interview portions of our episodes on our YouTube channel. Just type in Paseo Podcast and we'll pop right up. While you're there, like our videos and subscribe to our channel. It makes a difference. Believe me, it does. Uh, If you want to follow me, I'm at JSDeLeon on Twitter. If you want to pitch a story, reach out to us on our website, baseomedia.org. On today's show, we welcome Victoria Leandra. She is the editorial director for the Americano and Floriqua, a news outlet for and by Latinas in the U.S., She's an award-winning producer covering culture and news with a focus on social and political issues concerning the Latinx community, especially Boricuas. Prior to becoming the editorial director for The Americano and Floricua, Victoria worked for Vice News and Bloomberg, and you might have even seen her bylines in outlets like Refinery29, Oprah Magazine, Bustle, and Remezcla. We're going to talk about her work at Floriqua and two stories happening in puerto rico right now the first is the fiscal oversight board proposing huge cuts to the university of puerto rico's budget and how that's affecting the student population this proposed cut would mean the university's total budget has been cut by over 50 percent over the past five years the second story is the murder of Kesla rodriguez ortiz and her unborn child at the hands of uh, puerto rican boxer felix verdejo who after uh, this interview was recorded, was actually um, charged by a federal grand jury, uh, as well as his accomplice, identified by the federal prosecutor's office as Luis Antonio Cadiz Martinez, uh, as uh, being the people responsible for murdering Kesla and her unborn child through substantial planning and with premeditation. Also, after we recorded this interview, it was reported that Kesla's wake uh, was uh, today in San Juan. Missy rest in peace, it's a devastating story. Um, we're gonna talk about her murder, uh, what the Puerto Rican government uh, has been doing, or did do in response to this story, uh, and what the Puerto Rican government is doing to combat the gender violence that has been occurring on La Isla. But before we get into the interview, I wanted to share some news. Now, I'm not gonna share a big Puerto Rico uh, news rundown since we're covering two big stories in this week's episode, and those are our focus. But I did want to share a couple of news items regarding the podcast. First one is something pretty cool that uh, was made official this past week. Uh, The Paseo Podcast is partnering with the Chicago Public Library to offer a monthly Paseo Podcast discussion group on topics we cover right here on the show. The first event will be on June 12th. It's going to be a virtual event and anyone can join in. Also, I'll be there too. So if you want to dive deeper into the topics we discuss on this show and meet me, Uh, through the screen at least, then check out the events tab on shypublib.org, go to the events tab, go to events on June 12th, or type in Paseo Podcast and the event will pop right up. Click on the event and register to be a part of what I'm sure is going to be a meaningful discussion on Boricua issues. The next bit of podcast news is a follow-up to what I shared last week, As I've mentioned in previous episodes, the podcast is now part of the Chicago Independent Media Alliance, which is an initiative of the Chicago Reader. It's a group of independent news outlets from around Chicago working to identify professional growth, business, and financial opportunities. So starting next week, we will be taking part in our first ever SEMA fundraiser, and I'll share more on how you can help support us in order to keep this podcast going and independent media as a whole in the city of Chicago. Um... I actually came across this pretty uh, substantial stat uh, and uh, hear me out here, but 63%, 63. 63% of independent media outlets saw their revenue drop due to the pandemic. Now with your help, we can all play a role to save Chicago media. Hope that we can pull this off this year, 100%. Um, But it's not gonna be possible unless we all join in. So whether that's supporting us or other independent media, um, you know, hopefully uh, you like what you hear next week and uh, you're, you're moved to, to, to support that community. But more on that next week. Now let's jump into our interview with Victoria Leandra. Bienvenido a todos. This is the Paseo Podcast. It is Tuesday, May 4th, but of course, that doesn't really matter because it's a podcast. Uh, we're just happy you are listening to it or watching us on YouTube. We have Victoria Leandra, and she is the editorial director for Floriqua and the Americano, which Floriqua is a part of the Americano uh, media family. Very happy to welcome our guest on the podcast, Victoria Leandra. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for holding the space for... Um, Boricuas and Floricuas in the diaspora. It's so important for all of us to sort of connect digitally Mm. because we're everywhere in the world. So thank you for having me.
0: Gracias. Well, we're super, super happy to have you here. What should our audience know about you?
1: I'm Victoria Leandra, born and raised in Puerto Rico. I moved to New York City to pursue my dreams of becoming a journalist in the city. And that's what I did almost seven years ago. Um, I became an award-winning journalist, producer, writer, reporter, and it's been amazing. All of those live experiences at Bloomberg, Vice, the New York Times led me to where I am today as the editorial director of Floriguas. And for me, it's, it's a passion project because I, I am speaking with the community that I am a part of. A lot of the times me coming from the other um, mainstream media outlets, I, w- I had to fight to tell the stories of Latinos. But with Floriguas and with the Americano, that's our bread and butter. That's what we cover each and every day. So, for me, it's super important to translate and, and, and help other Latinos, especially Floriguas, understand what news and politics can mean to them and how it can impact them and their community. So, that's what we do on a, on a daily basis. So, I'm excited.
0: I relate to that on so many levels, Victoria, because we, we actually had a, a past guest, Nicola Acevedo from NBC News, NBC Latino. Yeah, she's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, fantastic. It was a great interview. And, um, you know, it, it was funny, you know, as she's not funny, but well, funny in a sad way. She was talking about like we're having to report and being in the newsroom and, of course, like the love, the rush of being in a newsroom. But also, if there's any news on Puerto Rico, it's like, OK. Nicole, you're the person, and I'm like, I, yeah. I imagine a world where we can have a whole newsroom with a dedicated team of people of, of badass reporters that can report on Puerto Rican issues that matter to the diaspora, to people on La Isla, just the Puerto Rican community in general. You know, I, I just wish we have. Hopefully, one day that that day will come.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I, I think you're filling a need with with Floriqua.
1: It's often a few of us in in each of these newsrooms, right? Nicole is that for NBC. When I met her, I was that one Boricua reporter for for Vice. We were actually both covering um, the aftermath of everything that had been happening with with the Ricky Renuncia protests. And we were both invited for an interview on MSNBC. And it was crazy, as you say, because we were the only ones who could understand that because we had the context of growing up in Puerto Rico. So now in the newsroom that I am in, in Floricua and the Americano, all of us are Latinas. All of us are Latinas, all women, all Spanish speakers, but also English speakers. Uh, We have Cubans, uh, Puerto Ricans, of course, Mexicans in the team. It's como un sancocho, a great mix of flavors, I would say.
0: (laughs) I love it. Music to my ears. I love to hear that. Um, You mentioned uh, growing up on La Isla. What part of Puerto Rico are you from?
1: So I grew up in Bayamón. All my family is from Bayamón. I'm super proud of it. (laughs) And there's a lot of songs about Bayamón. But yes, I grew up in in Bayamón and I studied in Colegio de la Salle, if, if anyone knows where it is.
0: All right. Okay. Shout out to that colejo. What is Floricua? When did this get started? Why does this exist? Uh, You touched on it a little bit, but what is Floricua? So
1: Floricua was started just one year ago by our amazing editor-in-chief, Christine Herrero. She comes from the magazine world and she has so much knowledge and I am super excited to to be part of of her team, basically. And Floricua avoid in the in the news and politics sector right because we have a lot of puerto ricans moving away from the island specifically to florida we know that mm-hmm. there's more puerto ricans outside of the island right that's the, the reality and a lot of the times when we come to this new place uh, let's let's say that it's the us and in this case florida we find ourselves not knowing what a lot of the culture is like and not so much the culture but also Uh, the government and politics, how it all works, uh, where do I vote, how do I register, uh, which party should I register with, etc. And what we do is translate that and explain how those processes work for people. And we love to call ourselves uh, news in arroz con habichuela because we do not talk uh, to people uh, as your regular news outlet. We will talk, we'll talk to you. We speak colloquially and we say, mi gente." we ask if you have taken your cafecito before breaking the news to you. So all of those things are, are sort of a way that we've built a community online of people that not only want to know about what's happening in the island, but they also want to know about what's happening in Florida. And we've built this amazing niche community that has grown exponentially in just one year. And it just goes to show that that we needed this that this was this was needed.
0: I'm glad you brought that up about the population shift. Laila's population dropped by 11.8% mm-hmm. to 3.2 million people. And to your point, there are more Boricuas here on the in the states than on Laila. We have what close to 6 million I think now. Um, yeah. and then with Florida, yeah. y'all are giving New York a run for their money. I think you're only like <laughs> a few thousand like shy of being like the Mecca of the Puerto Rican yeah. community here in the United States.
1: 1 in 5 Latinos eligible to vote in Florida are Puerto Rican. Mm. And sometimes we don't understand that political power because it has not been explained to us and yeah. then it, it may not even matter to us because on a day-to-day basis, right, we're we're worried about our work or we're wor- worried about taking care of an elderly, etc., but we love to be that sort of a point person, or at least that news hub, for that people can read us and ask us questions. We have a, a newsletter that we put out every every night um, around seven p.m. I subscribe it has 18, to it. Thousand subscribers, yes. <laughs> and we receive so much feedback of people, just like saying, "Oh, this is this was great reporting. I have a follow up question. Can you verify this for me, or can you let us know in the next edition?" what does this mean? Or, or mm. I cannot get vaccinated in Florida. Where, where are the vaccination sites? Where do I register? Wow. We've been able to sort of have that back and forth with the community, um, that you don't see in other huge media outlets, right? Like they don't answer back to you and they don't necessarily answer to your questions. Uh, but we don't only serve people. Uh, we, we, we exist because those, those people need us basically.
0: I found it fascinating thinking about looking at the, the Puerto Rican uh, voting base as a whole. And now we had so many Puerto Ricans uh, migrating from uh, Puerto Rico, either because of the recession or Hurricane Maria. Mm-hmm. And in Puerto Rico, there's a multi-party system. Here in the United States, we're just Democrats, Republicans. So, And the voting, the voter turnout in Puerto Rico is higher than it is here in the United mm-hmm. States. So it's not like boricuas don't want to vote it's like it's it's almost treated as like a holiday for for people on la isla so totally. to come here and not and 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 have that disconnect i mean you need mm-hmm. a it, it just speaks to the importance of needing a reliable source that people can tap into to really understand what their new surroundings are um, it's just a missed opportunity if more media outlets aren't doing that. So happy to hear that totally. y'all are trying to fill that void for, for Bortigues here in the diaspora. You talked a bit about the policy aspects, uh, speaking or writing colloquially, Uh, The newsletter, look at other media outlets that target a Latine, Latinx audience, like your Mitus, your Femesclas, you know, stuff like that. They tend to be a bit more like pop culture focused, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But just curious to hear from you, like, is there a mix? Like, what's the type of reporting you do? Is it like investigative reporting, cultural reporting? Is it a mix of everything? Give us the lowdown. Mm -hmm.
1: So we are not your regular news site. We are first and foremost, social first. So what that means is that, well, we know that 57% of Latinos love getting their news from social platforms. So, again, that's a missed opportunity if we're not putting together social first uh, media outlets that can give you the news on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and not necessarily using those platforms just to take you outside and drive you to a site. We're not doing that. What we're doing is basically creating Instagram first series and Twitter first, Twitter threads, for example, and Facebook groups that we can um, foster, basically, online communities in each of these platforms. So apart from the fact that we're social first, what, what does that mean and what does that look like? So, for example, we do a lot of IG lives telling people about what's happening in their community. So for example, we did a, a, an IG Live with Representative Kemani from Florida, and she told us about how climate change is already affecting Florida and more so Boricua communities in Florida. So what we achieved with that IG Live was basically um, providing people a little bit of a, a sense of, we are here, we're listening to you, this is what's happening in your community, and this is what you can do to help out or at least uh, raise your voice so that more people pay attention to what's happening in your community. So that's one way of us doing things. Um, The other way is a lot of explainers, um, carousel-like types. So what we do is sometimes we see this big new policy coming at the national level and we think, okay, how does this impact the Boricua community in Florida? What does this mean for the people living in in Orlando? For the people living in Miami? For the people living in 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 other parts of, of Florida, right? What does this mean for for this family? What does this mean to to the tía, that's a maestra, and to to the dad who is a, an electrician in Florida? So we break it down and we put it very locally. So we're not discussing the fact that Biden uh, promised this or that, we're discussing the fact that Biden's promises will impact you in X, Y, and Z way. So it's basically discerning what the media, the, the whole media ecosystem is discussing into the individual. Because I feel like that's everything that's wrong with with bigger media outlets, that they put this big headlines, but they don't think about the community and how the individual will be impacted and i think that Hmm. that's what we've achieved with with Floricua, at least on, on Instagram, for example, taking it as a, as a case study.
0: Let's talk a little bit about a couple stories Floricua has been reporting on, a couple big stories uh, coming out of Puerto Rico. Um, the first one I wanted to talk to you about was uh, proposed budget cuts by the Fiscal Control Board uh, to the University of Puerto Rico's budget. I saw this video that you all recorded with uh, a student from the University of Puerto Rico, Marina Rodríguez, I think her name was. Mm-hmm. What do we need to know about this story? How big of a budget cut is being proposed by the the Fiscal Control Board, and why is this cut being proposed?
1: Mm-hmm. So the big story that a lot of the 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 rest of media covered was the fact that a uh, la junta, the fiscal board, wanted to cut wants to cut ninety four million dollars from the education budget in the University of Puerto Rico. But what they failed to do was to center. The conversation and what it would mean to the students there. right? Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. We found a student that told us how this would impact her and, and, and her, her colleagues. So basically what we learned is that over the past four years, La Junta has already cut almost $400 million from the universities. So this would be in addition to the other cuts that have already ma- been made. Yeah. What she said was that in the past, the budgets have In the past, the cuts have basically resulted in uh, a decrease of enrollment. So what that means is that a lot of people want to leave the island because they cannot necessarily afford the the education system or not necessarily afford it in, in general, but at least the UPR system. It also means that the university has not been able to hire new professors. So that is both a that that's negative in, in two ways, right? Because if you want to be a professor in Puerto Rico and there's no jobs, then you may have to leave the island. And then it's negative. And as a second way, because it means that not necessarily a, the students in the UPR are getting the most neat education if new professors are not coming in, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you, you've seen professors that have been in their, in their roles for decades but not necessarily you see people with modern ideas if if that talent is going away. And then the other thing that you've seen is of course a tuition increase. What La Junta wants to do is, let's say that in the U.S. the lowest credit costs $100. And in Puerto Rico, the lowest credit costs $50. So what La Junta wants to do is raise it to $100. But what it fails to recognize is that the cost of living in the U.S. is not the same as it is in Puerto Rico and of course that Puerto Rican's not necessarily have the means to pay for that 100 credit and of course the the $50 and 100 credit is are uh, figurative numbers i'm mm-hmm. using them as an, as an example but it's sad to think and it's and it's concerning to think that that la junta would think that Puerto Ricans can afford that type of of credit when in reality it's 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 not consistent with our our current status of seven twenty-five la hora, right? The, the minimum wage that Puerto Ricans live by, which mm-hmm. is $7.25 an hour.
0: I remember reading that the median household income in Puerto Rico was like between 20000 $30,000. Um, and thinking about how much college costs here in the United States... Mm-hmm. That's like a year's. That's how much you'd pay yeah. for a year's worth of courses. Just one year. So I, I hear you. That, that that doesn't sound like they have the right perspective on this at all. I think it's a further example of why the fiscal control board is just so out of touch and is more of a hindrance to La Ila than actually helping it. And the University of Puerto Rico is a public university, correct? So now we're trying to get money out of people that we're trying to be offering a service to. Right. What's the reaction to? What's the reaction from students um, at the university? Like, because when I think of like when I think of the University of Puerto Rico, I think of protests. I think of students organizing, and I think about yeah. speaking truth to power. Like, what are you? What are you hearing and seeing from the student body at the university?
1: The students that we interviewed, they collectively said the the same thing. As tuition increases, and as things in, in, in the University of PR either cost more or or there's less budget, they haven't seen uh, an improvement in the services. Hmm. So when you call, I'm, I'm, I didn't study in the University of PR. I studied in, in the U.S., but a lot of my friends studied in the, in the UPR, in la UPR. And it's so drastically different, the, the experiences that we both had in in university just something as simple as oh i have to file this this document that the professor asked me for i would just submit it via email and that's it but someone in puerto rico would say or at least some of my friends would say no the the teacher the professor wants me to to print it and then take it over there and then if the office is not open then i have to wait until next week to to oh figure gosh. out when they will be open just so that I can hand in a, a, a letter or a document, like a print, a print document. And it's just this is the day-to-day for them. Mm-hmm. That's why you you sometimes see that that people that should do the bachelor's in four years end up doing it in five or in six because the system itself is not working. So that's what they're protesting about. They're protesting about the fact that you're cutting the budget, you're raising the prices, and yet the university is not working. It, the system is, is not working properly. As you say, it's not serving the, the people that then you want for them to stay in, in La Isla so that La Isla can prosper, right? Yeah. That's why a lot of them end up leaving the island, because either there's no opportunities, the cost is is, is raising, and then the services are, are not the best.
0: Hmm yeah and i mean it's mind-boggling uh i i just think this story is so wild i don't understand why anyone would think defunding education is a good idea it's beyond Mm -hmm. me and it seriously makes me question and worry about the priorities of the people uh pushing for these cuts because like you said like this is not the first year that the university has been asked to make budget cuts we're talking about okay, 90 plus million being asked now, but over the past four years, we are talking about over 360 Mm -hmm. million, close to 370 million in cuts. That's over Mm -hmm. 50% of their budget over the course of of five years. And they have Mm 45,000 students, 11 campuses. I mean, that's, like you said, like the salaries for the professors, investing in new resources that can make life easier for students and their professors. Like all that goes out the window once you just start cutting and cutting and cutting and You're just going to create a situation where people can't access a good education. And that's one of the few Mm -hmm. ways we have for upward mobility, especially for people on the island that, I mean, again, dealing with a recession, recovery. I mean, this is just, Mm -hmm. anyway, I get heated. I get heated, Victoria. This is just,
1: of all the things. You're you're preaching to the choir because the, the, the worst thing about it is too, that this budget cuts not only affect the University of Puerto Rico, eh, La Yupi, Bayamon, Mayagüez, mm-hmm. which are the big campuses that everyone knows about, it also affects the, the smaller campuses. Yeah. And, as, and those campuses even have even more problems than the big ones. So as more budget cuts are proposed, what people are fearing is that some of those campuses get eliminated in the future. And what that means is that you're decentralizing the education for all parts of Puerto Rico because the, the campuses are spread across the island. So if you leave, for example, the southern part without a campus, then that means that they have to go into the into the metropolitan area. So that's another barrier for people to get educated in La Isla.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I just want to shift gears a little bit to another big story, a huge story that, in my opinion... That has really dominated the Puerto Rican community over the past few days, and, and this story was the murder of uh, Kesla Rodriguez Ortiz and her unborn child, um, and and the murder at, at the hands of, according to federal prosecutors, uh, Puerto Rican boxer Felix Verdejo. Um, hearing about this story for the first time, you know what should people know about this story? Who was Kesla? Who is Felix?
1: This story has been so 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 personal to a lot of mujeres in la isla because it has reminded us of the worst, the worst in in our communities, right? And that's gender violence. Puerto Rico has seen an increase in gender violence over the past few years, and it's, it's truly concerning. And this is, this is why this story had, has been so big. It all started in, it all started on Friday, Friday, I was in La Isla and the news broke that Keishla was missing. The, the parents reported her as missing. She was a pet groomer in, in she was 27 years old and she didn't go to the job that day. She didn't uh, show up at her work and her mom said, this is so weird because she's super responsible and she loves her animals like she loves uh, the dog. So it's impossible that she doesn't show up to work. Fast forward to Saturday, her body was found in a lagoon in Puerto Rico. And actually her mom, she pointed at Felix Verdejo as the suspect of her disappearance really quickly. Mm -hmm. Her mom was very vocal in the news. And as you well mentioned, she was pregnant with Felix Verdejo's child and reportedly, she wanted to have the child, and he didn't want her to. So, Saturday, her body was found. Sunday, it is confirmed that it is her body, and Felix Verdejo turns himself in because he's being pointed at uh, for her for her disappearance and for her murder. Now we know that he's been accused with kidnapping that ended with the murder, and then also intentionally killing an unborn child, which was his own child. The sad part about this is that Keishla was not alone in this. Keishla Rodriguez is not the only victim of gender violence in these past few days. Andrea Ruiz is also another name that has been in the media because her body her her partly burned body was found during the time that Keisha was disappeared uh, or at least uh, during the time that Keisha disappearance was happening and Andrea Ruiz she actually asked for a restraining order against her ex-boyfriend and the judge didn't concede the restraining order to her and he ended up killing her he ended up killing her. So yeah. we see this, this, uh, it was bad news. Uh, una, una mala noticia otra noticia, right? And it, it touched so many women, so many women that we had to stop everything related to anything else that was not a uh, focus on these gender violence on Monday. Uh, and all our coverage was focused on this, especially because we are, a team of mujeres Latinas. Like we have to to tell the news because it affects us deeply. And we we went there. We went to the protest that happened on Monday in, in La Fortaleza. People and mostly women were protesting against gender violence and they were demanding a state of emergency in Puerto Rico for gender violence to be to be resolved. The state of emergency already been put in place by the current governor, Pedro Pierluisi. But as you can see, the system keeps failing Mm -hmm. our women. So it is in paper, but it is not it's not being it's not being actionable. That 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 um, state of emergency plan has not been actionable. Hmm.
0: Yeah, you you said a number of of, um, really poignant things. This is a hard one. I mean, I have a wife. I have two younger sisters. I have amazing women in my life that have helped shape me into the man I am today. So when I hear about these stories, it never gets any easier. You know, you brought up Andrea and the broken system. I mean, my gosh, uh, I was reading about this story and the prosecutor that was supposed to be advocating for her, that was supposed to show these threatening messages and, and the person that is your support system in the courtroom that understands how to operate within our that justice system didn't show up for her when she came for the new hearing and and how are you, how do you, as a prosecutor how do you not show up for a person you're supposed to be representing especially in a case like this when someone's literal life could be on the line it is mind-boggling mm-hmm. to me um and looking at 2020 numbers you know we had 60 femicides in 2020 that includes trans trans women as well and that Mm. translates into more than one femicide a week on Laïla. that's ridiculous and to your point about it being a broken system like i hey i appreciate a state of emergency i appreciate a pink alert you know that's that's all that's all nice and good but if there's no action behind those words behind those Mm. proclamations and what are we doing in a system where they aren't advocated for uh, they're not protected. You, they're you're essentially putting all women in a vulnerable state where they can be done with whatever men want to do with them. If someone wants to just mm-hmm. kill them, burn them, hide their body, like that's just that's not a world that I don't think anybody wants to live in. And the fact that not to say that femicides are just stri- are, are specific to Puerto Rico because they happen throughout the world, but we deserve our women deserve better. Um, our women mm-hmm. in the trans community deserve better. I mean, this uh, it's again, it's just it's mind boggling how we don't have the proper system in place to protect, to protect our mujeres. Um, I did mention the pink alert, the um, alerta rosa, uh, that was a part of the state of emergency that Governor Pedro Pierluisi uh, had declared. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the just thinking about, like the system in Puerto Rico and how protecting women? Can you give us a sense of what, what is the Alerta Rosa? Um, just a bit of context. Mm-hmm.
1: So Alerta Rosa is brand new. Uh, the first Alerta Rosa that was shared with Puerto Rico was actually Keisha Rodriguez case. So we're all learning about it. We're all learning mm-hmm. as we go because, as, as I said, it's the first one. But the Alerta Rosa has a very clear distinction with previous uh, alerts. And it is that now it not only recognizes disappeared women, but also women who identify as Mm women. So this includes transgender women and non-binary folks. So this is something that in in Puerto Rico had not been part of that language, basically. And now they're sort of incorporating it into into the law, which is very important because we've seen a lot of not only... feminicidios, but we've also seen a lot of transphobia in the Puerto Rican community, transphobia that actually resulted in the murder of Alexa, another case that has been uh, very well covered mm-hmm. by, by the local media. So alerta rosa is, is mostly when you want to alert people that you're looking for someone that you think is still alive. So it's not someone that it, you're not looking for a body. You're looking for a person that's alive. So that's something that has been um, also very very clear from, pre- from from previous alerts.
0: Did the did the alerta rosa play a part in finding Keshla's body? Do you think or what? Because it's my understanding it was just an anonymous caller that called the police and they had discovered the body. Did, so the did the alert play a part in in that and finding her?
1: Not many apart. I could say that details have been, so the case is so new Mm -hmm. that we're still learning new, new findings. Right. Mm -hmm. But what we know so far is that the alerta Rosa, I wouldn't necessarily say it worked properly. We didn't receive, um, cell phone notifications before in the pandemic, we received cell phone notifications at 7 p.m. every night for curfew. Mm. But then for the Alerta Rosa, we didn't receive the alert. So mm. some clear steps that should have been taken were dismissed from the Alerta Rosa. It, it, they didn't follow the protocol as it was in, in in writing. I wouldn't necessarily say that the case was resolved because of the alert, but more so because of the media coverage. Mm. And the media coverage in Puerto Rico um, there, there, were, there was a lot of wrong in, in, in that coverage because when you look at the local coverage, you look at, at the local channels that were covering that. They showed her body. They showed her floating body on live TV. That was something. They turned, they turned the the, the case into a spectacle. That's a lot of the of the of the criticism that the the local media is receiving. Because not all, not all reporters were like this, but other reporters, for example, they were with the family the whole time. Even as the family was searching for the body in the lagoon, the brother, Keisha's brother, told one of the reporters, do not film me. Do not film me. I don't want to be filmed. And the reporter and and the camera person kept filming. So when you have... Uh, the whole media looking at you, because of course Verdejo is a known name. Mm-hmm. This didn't necessarily happen in the other cases; it happened in this one. Then you have a lot to talk. You have a lot to say about how Puerto Rico's media and we as as media, not necessarily media, local media only, everything that we have to improve, right? Like those are those are things that are 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 hard to watch on on live tv a lot of the details of the of the um, of the case were also shared first on the media prior to letting know the family about them so the family got to know things through the media and not necessarily through the proper channels so i i would definitely not not say that the I, I won't say that the alert helped in any way I would say more so the the media coverage the fact that the media was all around this case yeah. you know I would say that officials felt the need to get a result because everyone's eyes was was on it
0: uh, thank, thank you for that extra context, Victoria. I had no idea that her body was shown on live television. I mean, what a dis, what a disgrace. What, what's next in this case, then? Um, I know you had mentioned that Felix, what Felix um, was arrested by authorities. Uh, he he's being held right now. I mean, what are, what are the next steps mm-hmm. in this case?
1: He's being held in federal jail with no bail, and he's waiting for his hearing. A, the 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 interesting part of the case is that it, it could be the first case in Puerto Rico to resume in death penalty mm-hmm. but both the sister of Keishla and her dad have said that they don't want this they don't want the death penalty for Felix Verdejo they want him to to suffer in mm-hmm. in in jail in prison mm-hmm. so so this is something again everyone's been looking at this case because it it's 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 historic in many, as bad as that sounds, it's, it marks a first in, in many instances. And this would be one of them, the, the fact that we could be a, dealing with a death penalty verdict.
0: Yeah, no, it could be a landmark case for sure. Um, okay, we'll have to keep our eye on that. Um, I forgot to ask you this earlier, but uh, it, based on the latest reporting, what we understand about this case... Uh, did he act alone? Uh, It's my understanding that there was a partner that uh, actually uh, Mm -hmm. confessed to police and and named him as the the main culprit in in murdering Keshla. Do I have that? Do I understand that correctly?
1: In the document, it does say that he had an accomplice, someone that he identified um, and that could help him get rid of the body, basically. And this person... We do not know if it's a man or a woman. Uh, we don't know if it's someone close to him or not. But we do know that the person was a first-hand witness, hmm. so that the person act with him to 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 do what they what they did. Yeah. And the details of this case are are horrible. Um, I'm not gonna repeat them, but hmm. but it's all online.
0: We're gonna take a quick pause for the cause, pero no se muevan porque when we come back, Victoria and I are gonna wrap up our discussion with her sharing her favorite place to eat in Puerto Rico and what she is most obsessed with today. Stay with us. We wanna take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So, gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also wanna take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based grassroots educational health and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, Please email us at baseopod at gmail.com. That's P A S E O P O D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. Sodia, we've covered a lot of news today. Um, really appreciate you again stopping by. Uh, before we wrap up our time together, we do ask all of our guests uh, some listener questions. Um, I do have a couple that I keep around because I just I really like them and I, I like people's answers to them. Um, so uh, for for some of our bonus questions, uh, you mentioned moving around a lot, but you uh, you grew up in Puerto Rico. I normally ask her, I guess, what is like the best spot to eat Puerto Rican food at? So I'm not going to do that to you like in the States. I want to hear about Laila. <laughs> like, what are some, what is like one of your favorite places to eat in Puerto Rico?
1: So I would say it's my mom's house. And oh, mom's come home. on. <laughs> <laughs> No, but truly, my mom makes the best, the best, uh, criollo food. But again, that's, that's not necessarily doable for all of you <laughs> listeners. But what I would say is that it's been super refreshing to see how much uh, Puerto Rican gastronomy has grown in the past few years. Because every time that you visit the island, they have a new restaurant opening up and a new um offering. Right? Like, uh, there's a lot of of. A new chefs that want to do incorporations of two cultures. So you would see Mexican and Puerto Rican culture. You would see Criollo. You would also see like Japanese and Puerto Rican. So a lot of fusions happening. One of the, the restaurants that I would recommend, I tried it a couple of months ago and it's sort of like my 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 go-to, especially if you want to visit Campo, eh, the Campo, the countryside of La Isla. It's called Bagua. It's so, so, so good. If you go there, please try the fish and the tembleque. Amazing. So good. So good. So good. And they have a beautiful um, lake on the front. So you you truly get a sense of, of what living in Puerto Rico and what living on the countryside is like.
0: Okay. I'm adding that to my list. Next time I go back to the motherland, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pay them yes. a visit. Okay, uh, all right, Victoria, last question. Um, we ask all of our guests what they're obsessed with. Now, this could be related to Puerto Rican culture, unrelated, like movies, TV shows, comic books, whatever you're obsessed with. What is one thing you are obsessed with today?
1: Hmm. Oh, I... Mm. <laughs> I, I'm going to say what my team would say, and they would say that I'm obsessed with Bad Bunny. <laughs> okay, okay.
0: He was just on the cover of W Magazine today. Okay. I,
1: I saw, mm-hmm. I saw, and it, and I say this because it's been so funny to see people not realize that you can be a journalist and love news and politics, but also love Bad Bunny. You know, like, those two worlds do not collide, but we make it collide. <laughs> So I would say that I love that bunny.
0: <laughs> how can our audience keep up with you? You got a website, social media. I know you have a bunch of that stuff for Floriqua already, but you know, how can people keep up with Floriqua? How can people keep up with you?
1: Perfect. So please subscribe to our nightly newsletter, Floriqua. So you can do so by going into our website, com, and then you'll see the newsletter tab. You can sign up there. It's basically everything related to Floriguas, Puerto Ricans, in Florida, and we do it on a daily basis, so that's exciting. We also have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can find us there as Floriguas, and then if you want to keep up with me, I post a lot of Instagram reels and a lot of explainers into our Puerto Rican culture. I actually posted one in which reggaeton is mentioned recently. <laughs> so you can you can search that on my personal Instagram and it's Victoria Leandra.
0: Okay, Victoria Leandra, thank you so much for being on the Paseo podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me and thank you for the work that you're doing. I'm so excited to hear this episode and hear all the other amazing guests that you have lined up.
0: Gracias igualmente. That's our show for today, familia. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did or didn't, let us know. podcast at gmail.com or at Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay tuned next week for an all-new episode of the podcast. We don't know who our guest is going to be next week. Uh, there's been so much news, and we've been pivoting, pivoting, pivoting. But um, good news is we have a lot of really good guests coming down the pipeline. So whoever... Whatever episode we're dropping next week, it definitely will be quality listening. As always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview or share a new story you'd like us to discuss in the show, visit our website, baseomedia.org to do just that. See you next week. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website baseomedia.org emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com and following us at baseopodcast on facebook and twitter if you have a tip want to pitch a story or send us a compliment we love to hear from you thanks for downloading this episode and see you next week Cuídate.